Welcome to the Less Matters podcast. This is a podcast not just for those people interested in large-scale Scrum, oh no. This is a podcast for anybody who wants to know how to make single or multi-team agile work in any product-led or project-driven organisation. I'm Ben Maynard. And with over a decade of experience leading Agile in organisations both huge and small, I am uniquely placed to interview some of the best and brightest minds on topics that will help you be the best Agile practitioner you could possibly hope to be. In the first part of the conversation I had with Paddy, he explained to us how the massive Agile catastrophe that was the Universal Credit Programme for the UK government was bereft of psychological safety was seen as being too big and too important to be failing and was staffed by every consultancy firm under the sun. Doesn't sound like it was set up for success, does it? Well, we'll pick things up from here. When done well is that you can minimise the number of product backlogs that you have in product owners and it doesn't necessarily mean you have one product, well, you do have one product owner, but then you go to less huge, you can have area product owners. So the product Mm -hmm. ownership is diffused across the organization, and there are certain responsibilities that the area product owners don't have, but the product owner does. Ultimately, you would hope that by having that single point of alignment at the top and by having the product owners work together as a, as a coherent team or working towards the same goal, then you can get a, a lot of alignment. And with a delivery which is so immensely critical to British society and people's lives, you would think that even if they didn't have that alignment structurally from a product perspective, that just that purpose alone would have been enough to compel people to speak up. Because this is, Mm. you know, this is the kind of thing that affects, well, affects my mum. You know, it would have affected me if I hadn't, found a way to put myself in a situation where that claiming benefits wasn't something I had to do to survive. And I just, it it just, it it blows my mind a little bit. And then even if they didn't go for something like less, then just simplifying it so that everyone believed that purpose and that the people involved would put aside their fear of a desire to earn more money and actually focus on what really matters, you think would be achievable. So what I wonder is, did the consultants have too much power because their systems, platforms, software, whatever it may be, was already in the organization and they were a little bit like, oh, well, we better not, like, well, maybe it isn't the case, we better not piss them off, but they knew they had that power. Mm. And as you mentioned, they are about land and expand. Was that some of the part of the reason then? Because there was this, the power, that's a great placement point, of power ben, was incorrect. To be honest, I've never really looked at it in that respect, but I can absolutely see there were occasions where one of the platforms was integral to everything, and they would have a lot of clout, a lot of power. And even when we were working with with those colleagues, we would often be told no, uh, even if the requirement was right or that was the requirement, then the need there would be very much driving things the way they wanted because they were so precious about the platform and only they could change that thing. So everybody was dependent on those those groups of people. Mm. And there was definitely an element of that, I would say, you know, 
what was the alternative? Well, we recreate that platform from scratch and that just wasn't going to happen. We didn't have the time or the expertise. You know, certainly there was no appetite to do that. So I think you're absolutely right. There was some some tough situations and there were times when we knew this was the right thing. We knew it was the right thing uh, for the actual you know, good of the claimant and the good of the users, but it just wasn't technologically acceptable because one of the teams didn't want to do that or it felt like it was too much work for them or it felt that that's not the direction they want to take that platform in. So lot, lots of decisions around that were made because of, of the people that were involved, for sure. When I think about less and less, um, as I'm sure mm-hmm. you remember, Let's ask for broad product models, definitions. So we're saying our product should be broad so that we can align our value against a single list as much as possible and have as few people as possible saying what should be the the order of the valuable items on the backlog. Brilliant. It enables feature teams. Brilliant. Now, of course, in your in this situation, then that product would have been incredibly broad. That would have been Mm-hmm. everything that Evan was doing, at least, right? I mean, this uh, that would be the whole thing. And then you've got this idea of a platform within it. And my personal opinion is that platforms, whilst I don't condone the creation or use of many platforms, I do see why they end up existing. And I believe that a platform should have a narrow focus rather than a product having a broad focus. A platform should have a very narrow focus. So it's doing one thing and it's doing one thing well and it's doing it so well and it's so cheap and so usable that people don't have to go and reinvent it themselves. They just get a lot of pleasure and they get a lot of freedom from being able to use that. The platform you're talking about, did it have a was it quite narrow in its focus of what it's supposed to do, or was it quite broad in its uh, functionality, let's say? Yeah, I'd say it's probably fairly broad because there as I mentioned, there was always this kind of land grab of we want to win as much work as we can. And sometimes there'll be a requirement that was totally unrelated to that team. It was over here somewhere. And but somebody over here gets wind of it. <laughs> it's like well, hey, we can do that for you. We'll we'll bring that over here because it means there's more work for us to do and now we become even more valuable. Have you heard of a game, a children's game called Cobra Paw? No, no, tell me more. This is not product placement. <laughs> My wife works for the company that sell it, so this is not product placement. Or is it? This is product placement. Anyway, it's a brilliant game. You should check it out. And what you get are these little like domino-shaped tiles. And there's, there's not a huge amount of them. There's like 24 of them or something. And they've all got two different symbols on it. And then you've got two dice. Mm-hmm. And then you roll the dice. And if you roll the dice and then you've got to look around for those two matching symbols and you find it, you've got to put a finger in the middle and pull it towards you. And when you get seven tiles, you win. And so basically, you roll the dice and everyone like just runs to go put their finger dead in the middle of this tile so they can win it. That's what that sounds like. Is that someone's rolling the dice. Oh, okay, so it's a it's a, a window shape and four yellow lines. And whoever gets their finger on it first gets to work. Oh, yes, only five more chips, and I'm going to be the winner of this game. It just sounds dysfunctional and shit. 
hey, don't take my word for it, because obviously I was there on the ground and there's probably emotion and, you know, my personal bias. But if anybody is interested in knowing some of the other elements of, of, of why the program didn't do as well as it should have, you can Google it. If you type in the word universal credit and agile and then the word failure, there's a whole report that was done retrospectively afterwards, a a whole investigation into what were some of the failings of the program. And it's well documented, although you probably won't hear all of the stories I've just talked about, but it'll give people a really good insight into, you know, some, some big lessons learned. Now saying that, I do want to clarify one thing. I mean, the people that I worked with were absolutely amazing. The people on the ground, you know, none of us consultants were there because we wanted to rip off the system in any way. Like people genuinely cared. Like we were all there trying to do the best we could. We were there working long hours. Um, And outside of work, we were very sociable with everybody from other organizations that were there. We used to stay stay in the same hotels, although the Accenture lot often get the better rooms. But overall, we used to socialize together, you know, real, real good times, I would say. But it just that the environment just wasn't right. And I do believe now things are going much better. And I think they've seen some real good successes. And I I know a couple of people that still work uh, in that environment and they're working on Universal Credit. They're doing a great job. And I think there's some really good agile stuff coming out of the program. Mm. But at that time, it was it was that first few years where things just were not right at all i think it's brilliant that you bring that up so thank you yeah we're not looking to beat up on anyone this is uh for me this is an exploration of the system rather than the the people within it and that's such a strange thing isn't it that you can all get along and be so open and honest and sociable with each other and then you walk through some doors and then you you put on a different hat, effectively, and you you then behave somewhat differently. It's it's it's, a, it's an interesting one. I think this is where for me, I kind of feel like I have to keep mentioning less because this is a this is one thing that I think Boz Vodder mentioned it when I was interviewing him. That one of the most satisfying things about less when it works well is that it allows great people to do great work. And there's nothing more disturbing in this world than, well, actually, there's a few more disturbing things, but it's really disturbing when you've got great people who are just not given the opportunity to do the work they're capable of, either as individuals or as teams. Yeah, absolutely right. And you weren't kidding. I Googled it, Universal Credit Agile Failure. There is a ton of stuff from all manner of different websites. So I will uh, put some of those in the show notes and make it easy for people to find out a bit more information because that is... Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea that this was such a big failure. Do you think that it was ever going to go any other way? Is this if they'd embraced less or, I don't know, safe? Not at that time. Were they using safe? <laughs> I don't know. Or, or, or disciplined agile or, I don't know, whatever. Right. Was there anything that could have saved I think this? overall probably not. It was just too fundamental. The shift was too fundamental. Too many things needed to change. But I certainly think elements of the platform could have been done better if we had maybe broken away from the norm of how everyone else was doing things. I think there was a huge opportunity for one or two teams to be able to 
prove themselves in that respect and then maybe use that as a bit of a showcase for others around them. What I find quite intriguing is you've popped something into my head that I haven't really, I haven't read uh, this particular book since I was at university, like 17, 18 years ago. So let me read something out to you, all right? Tell me if you've heard this before. So a, mm hmm I'm not going to give it away, a mm hmm is a project which participants believe is to be destined for failure or that requires a stretch of unsustainable overwork. The project marches to its death as its members are forced by their superiors to continue the project against their better judgment. They usually result the result of an unrealistic or overly optimistic expectation in scheduling or feature scope and often result from a lack of appropriate documentation, relevant training, or outside expertise needed to complete the project. Was it called Universal Credit? <laughs> no. This is a book from 1999 by a guy called Ed Jordan called Death March. Wow. And it is just about how some projects are destined for failure. And no matter how much everyone wants to say or is tired of saying this isn't going to work, we are still... We are still forced to do it. And I think this is, for me, I've seen many a death march that could have been cured if the people who are responsible had actually gone to the place of value creation and spent time with the teams who were trying to make this work. If IDS had come and spent a sprint with each of the different teams, I, I'm guessing that after the first week of the first sprint, he would have bailed out of the going to go see and maybe tried to fix it because you can't avoid that truth when it's when you're when it's in your face. I've got a story about that, Ben. I've got to share this because it what you've just said there. I would, I would have hoped would have happened. What actually happened was he did come. He came on various occasions. No way. This is going to get worse now, isn't it? Uh, and what would happen is at least two or three days before he was due to come, we would all stop work and we would get a briefing to say, IDS is coming. We need to prepare. And we were all told exactly what we could say and what we couldn't say. And there were things that you just were not allowed to say, i.e. failure. Things aren't going well. There was no negativity allowed. And as far as you could avoid, they would not let him come and speak to the teams or there was always someone around to usher him in a particular direction so that there was low risk of anybody <laughs> speaking the truth. And it was very much show success, show things that are working, show the bits that are going well. And failure was never really ever allowed to be discussed. And it, it it was horrific. You know, you think back now and you think, how on earth could could people do that? How, how could the leadership do that? But it goes back to, hopefully now that puts into context some of the toxic elements that I talked about earlier. You know, when you've got leadership advocating that approach, people on the ground are never going to share any risk, any failure, any vulnerability. It just was never going to happen. So... It goes goes back to your point there. 
it, it would have been great if he was allowed and if he had been forthcoming in that, but the leadership just never allowed it. I want to find a word other than interesting. That is, um, that is, um, there you go. That is, um, that's about all I've got to say on that. But it doesn't surprise me. He's a scary chap. And well, is that libelous? Am I now going to get brought up? I'm going to have to edit that a bit out. I'm going to get ID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, am I going to get IDS's lawyers on my back? I don't know. And it is IDS. That's Ian Duncan Smith, not IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Well, the two are quite easily confused. No comment. I remember that on my RBS case study, the one which is on the Less website, I had a man, he was my manager and he was my program manager. And he was a lovely person called Charles. And I thought the world of Charles and I still do. And Charles, if you listen to this and you disagree with what I say, WhatsApp me. And I'll get you on next time and we can talk about it. But he. Can I I just open that invitation out to IDS as well? So, you know, feel free to WhatsApp either myself or Ben, and we're, we're quite yeah. happy to have a chat. Ideas, mate, come on board. Come and talk about scaling Agile and, and universal credit. I'll do a special, I'll rename the podcast to whatever he wants me to rename it to if he comes on. Wow. Whatever he wants for one episode, I will rename it to uh, literally anything. If he wants to call it uh, Blue Albatross Hemorrhoids. That's or IBS. Yeah. Irritable bowel something. I wonder if I could just rename it to um, ir- Irritable Ben Syndrome. Things that irritate Ben. We'll get IDS on. We'll get, oh, oh I'm not going to say Jason Rees-Mogg because I'll just vomit. So, <laughs> if we get back to what I was talking about, anyone that isn't in the UK or likes these people, I've just lost a few subscribers, but maybe gained a couple more of the right mm. ones. So, what was I going to say? That was it, Charles. Charles was lovely, and I thought the world of him. But the one thing I wish he wouldn't have done was insulate me so well from the truth. I wish he hadn't have done that. When people were complaining, when people didn't think that using less was helping, or they weren't getting the information they needed, or they were just disgruntled because of whatever reason, he always shielded me from it. And I remember it got to a point where I got quite angry with him. And I said to him, look, like, don't, don't parent me about this. Give me the tough message. Tell me the truth. Because if I don't know it, we can't do anything about it. Like, I, I want to know. And yeah, to his testament, he then began to deliver me some of that information. And then I was, um, <laughs> I was asked by somebody else in the organization to go and join their part of the organization. Quite quickly after that, which is just serendipity, it wasn't designed that way. It wasn't like I've realised the actual truth and then bricked it and felt like I had to run away. But it's it's hard to tell people the truth, I think, sometimes for many reasons. It takes a huge amount of courage. And I think that if there was one word I wished was in the agile values, it would be something around being courageous. Because I think maybe when it was written, it was easier or the scope, people's minds, it was a bit more narrow. 
But when I think of the types of behavior that we need to see in organizations, especially especially organizations that aren't new and fresh, then courage is a vital ingredient. Mm, you're right. And I think the horrible thing for me was some really good people left out of frustration or they moved on to other projects. And that was a frustrating part because you want your dream team to be there, you know, especially on such a, a difficult program. And we saw lots of people, there's such a huge churn. And that's not just IBM, as there was obviously from the other groups as well, some really smart people, really, really great talent. And then all of a sudden they were gone. I think I lasted about 12 months and then I got to the point again of frustration. It just, I could just see this was going to be a train crash. It just wasn't going to end well. And I really didn't feel I could be adding the value that I could be on other programs. And in the end, I put myself forward to go on to another project. And that was in Ireland, in Dublin. And my local management absolutely were not happy because I'm a billable resource. You know, why, why, why is he actively seeking another opportunity? But I went on to a project that met a lot of the skill set that I had. And it was fantastic. It was another great agile uh, initiative. But I, I almost fell out with my leadership on that one. Uh, forcing that move. Uh, and, and that's what we were up against, right? It was really difficult for people to, you know, tell them anything that they didn't want to hear at the time. And that, that's not just my organization. I think that all of the organizations were like that. One thing that I think that people don't want to hear, I'm going to say it anyway, is that we are reaching the end of our time together, Paddy. Oh. We've been talking for a while and... I feel that we should maybe begin to bring this one to an end. What I do love is that I successfully totally ignored what we the order in which we were going to go through things and absolutely just went with my, my gut instinct, which was to talk to the thing that was closest to my lived experience. So thank you so much for being so open and honest about exploring some of this and listening to some of my questions and answering them with such... Uh, brilliance. Thank you so much for taking the time to to share and to listen and to answer the questions. It's been absolutely fantastic for me. And I think other people will get a huge amount of value from it as well. We're going to have to get you back on though, to talk about all of the other things. So if you're happy to come back. Oh, of course, Ben, you know me, I, I love these conversations with you. And, you know, like I said, at the start, every time we get together, it's always it was always fun involved. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. And it's been a pleasure. And, and thank you for inviting me to share some of those views with your community. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of less. I really love the human elements of less as well. And that we don't just get kind of focused on some of the, the those other sort of, you know, less impactful parts of agile, which are structures and frameworks and all of those things. We actually really talk about the people and those, the things that can help people gel together and uh and, and work effectively so um yeah pleasure thank you so much thank you i, I instantly wanted to rant on them people say oh, it's not about frameworks not about this not about that but there isn't actually that much to less hmm. and this is what i confuses me a little bit i even had it on linkedin the other day you know a really kind nice gentleman made a comment and i said but the, the the thing with less is that it wasn't like it's created a, created a framework. It hasn't really created 
much that wasn't already there. It's just as my friend, my friend Rowan Bunning said, you know, it's just scrum done right. And so people, people that turn around and say, oh, well, oh, I hate all frameworks, I hate all this. Well, look, the frameworks are such a small part of less. And if you look at the rest of it, it's all the type of stuff that you're probably going to have to do anyway if you really want to have a good thrust at this. So thank you for making those comments. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And just to make sure that I don't carry on talking about the things that I quite like, because um, we are at time. Far deep. If people wanted to contact you, get in touch with you for whatever reason, how is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so I'm very active on LinkedIn. So just look me up on under my name, Paddy Danda. And uh, the other thing I mentioned is a podcast. So there's a website that's going up for that, which is superpowers.school. Uh, so that's another little portal that you can go to and uh, get in touch. Uh, so yeah, I'd welcome anyone to to reach out. Always happy to talk through things more, uh, but just if you just want to chat, I'm, I'm always up for a chat, a bit like Ben. So uh, yeah, just just ping me. Nice, do a two chatty, two chatty. And you were at Seacom. Yes, yeah, with good old Barry. Yeah, Barry, Barry Chandler, and Sam, Sam there. Yeah. Oh, did I miss Sam? I don't think I know Sam. Sam Kiani. Maybe I don't know Sam. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, Sam Kiani. Yes, our Sam Kiani from Deutsche Bank. Yeah. She was there. A few other friendly faces were there. Mr. North, Dan North okay. was there. Uh, yeah, great, great crowd. And I was there doing a bit of visual thinking. So that's the other passion I have. So we were doodling away in the background. Again, phenomenal response. You know, people, it goes back to this human element, right? People, when you show people something that's humanistic, a doodle, the amount of engagement is phenomenal and uh, we had a great time. So uh, yeah, great event as well. Brilliant. Yeah. I would have, I would like to have gone, but I have been properly COVID edited. So I haven't been going anywhere. Paddy, thank you, my friend. We'll get you back on soon. Everyone, I urge you to get into contact with him and listen to his podcast and check out his awesome visual thinking stuff kind of undermines it. It's not stuff. It is the visual thinking brilliance. I need to kind of buy a thesaurus <laughs> or just look up some new words. Right, let's end it. I'm going to go and look up some new words. Paddy, thank you very much. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, we will see you soon. Stay safe. What a corker, as we would say in the UK. If you like this episode, then please check out my conversations with the less trainers to hear about some other marginally more successful agile stories, especially my episode of Jürgen de Schmidt. If you like us or even just think we're okay, do check out the Less Matters YouTube channel for some of the videos of the many conversations I've hosted. And that's it. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to your return.